Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Sophie. Welcome to a TARDIS of One's Own. A queer feminist journey through time and space and new who. imminently going yeah now i'm imminently back less than 24 hours yeah yeah dedicated in the, to the dead podcast. of night yeah snuck back in to the country when no one could see me last flight into wellington airport of the uh of the night yeah thank you for the the pickup in the middle of the night you're welcome i so, was sleepy yeah no but i rallied no, no guarantee about the content of this podcast since we are both sleep deprived but we are here we're ready to talk about who yes did you have any major life updates you want to share not really mm. oh no nah, not really i mean some i think some stuff might naturally come up with our discussion topic mm, yeah 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 maybe true, true, let's true, see true. all right yeah. um let's just crack on in then hey okay fuck it let's do it go for it <laughs> do you want to do an episode summary i would love to yeah so this week we listened to season four episode six the doctor's daughter and in this episode the tardis whisks martha donna and the doctor to the planet messaline Mm. where a war rages between the humans and the half. Caught in the middle, the Doctor finds himself once again a father. Lots going on in that sentence. Mm, a lot. Bechdel? Yes. Donna and the doc- daughter. Jenny. Jenny and Donna. Yeah, talking a bit. Not and really. We don't know about the gender of the half. No, we don't. I'm glad it's you. It's written down here, half, because I was like, are they saying half? I think they're saying half, but then it made me think of Hoth, which the is planet the cold Hoth. planet. Yeah. The cold, cold planet stars. Star Wars planet. Um, yeah. Mescaline also. Mescaline. The planet Mescaline. Mescaline. Yeah. Great. Okay. So, um, so high level. Yeah. This episode's fucking weird, man. Weird times. Yeah, it's weird. Like, plot's weird. Everything's weird. Everything is weird. There <laughs> yeah. is a lot of weirdness. The the Hath are interesting as a species. We haven't often seen a non-humanoid. Mm. Well, I mean, they're still humanoid they're, in the fact yeah. that they're on two legs. Because, because again, they're played by humans. And they're like, we only can do prosthetic faces. So prosthetic to the neck and then human body. But they've got fish heads. the ood. Like the Sontarans. (laughs) With the bubbly water thing. Yeah. Fish water. I've got, there's a lot to unpack with them. I've got lots of notes. All right, let's just go in with the discussion topic. So it was my turn to pick the topic this week. And so again, very on the nose. But I thought let's talk about having children and this idea of legacy in particular around having children. So yeah, often cool. when people talk about having kids, they think of it as a means of ensuring a future. Like it's almost like you're trying to become immortal by having children because in the face of your imminent death, mm. you have this thing about like, I must prolong my legacy. I must prolong my life. I must prolong who's going to remember me. If I don't have kids, no one's going to remember me. Right. This is the whole idea. It's the family line. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is interesting in terms of queerness in particular because you have these traditional spaces where men in particular are expected to pass on the family name. And if you're a queer man, maybe you're not interested in like tra- like marriage in a traditional sense where you're going to like share a name or having, you know, having kids becomes more complicated. If you're going to adopt or not adopt, maybe you don't want to have children, all these things. So 
there's a lot of restrictions around that and of course with women and feminism there's this kind of expectation of having children and you see women a lot talk about you know their struggles with infertility and these sort of things where they talk about if I can't have kids what's the point of my existence because so much of your female value is wrapped up in the ability to bear children and women will struggle with like you know what's my legacy how will people remember me when if, if I don't have kids and I think there's also something there in when the expected cycle is broken. So if you have kids with the expectation that you'll have a legacy, what then happens when they don't want to have kids? Or if your kid is gay and they're not going to have children in that sense. So you had a child thinking that it'll prolong your legacy, create this dynasty, and then they decide not to have kids. Like me, for yeah. example, right? Like, so I'm an only child. I'm not going to have kids. Yeah. So my parents are not going to be grandparents. Yep. This curse ends with me. <laughs> um... Sidebar, does your dad have any brothers? Yes. Do they have children? children? Yes, they do. Yeah, cool. So so, so the family name will continue on. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But on my mum's side, she had a brother, but he's only had daughters. So the family name has died out. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. It's gone. Yeah. Mm. Even though all those daughters have prolific children, none of them have the name. my mum's maiden name. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Mm. It's really interesting. I thought that about that in my family because my mum's side, she just has a sister and then her sister has had three daughters and a gay son. Mm. And I am 99% sure that that gay son's not going to have any kids. So the the name's dead. That's the end but of the line. isn't that just so patriarchal as well, though? Like yeah. The idea that the, li- the line is now ended just because you, you the son's not having sons. But there's mm. nothing to stop women from keeping their, their family names or to give their names to family names to oh, their children. Oh, no, that, yeah, no, 100%. It, it, more that there is no kids as well. Yeah, yeah, like, no, I no get that. But I just yeah. mean, like, this is an interesting yeah, conversation. Yeah, no, 100% is. And you have, I've heard stories about women keeping their surnames and giving it to their children with their husband's consent because they are. The mm-hmm. only female, the only heir, if you will. And they happen to be female. But yeah, it's such a patriarchal concept in and of itself that this idea that the lion dies with the with the son. Yeah. And also the lion dying, like, what, what does that, that mean? It's so weird. It's very weird. It's not like we're inheriting fiefdoms. No, exactly. No one's a feudal lord and you need to, like, prove that the this estate is yours through blood. Yeah, it's very bizarre. And if you go back any more than a few generations, the amount of people who are related to people is, like, vast. We've just picked one particular bloodline, right? Mm. Like, if we go back two, three generations, our great-great-grandparents, the amount of people descended from them is far more than just my, the the particular thread that yeah. I'm at the end of. Like, like I very, it's arbitrary. I recently got my Ancestry.com results updated, and then I was like, I should actually do my family tree, and I started doing it, and I think I got a generation back, and I was already like, these too many children. My cousins <laughs> have had too many children. It's too annoying. And then my grandmother, because I've just went to visit my gran, and we were talking about something, and she said that, yeah, when she started dating my grandfather, they discovered that they had cousins in common, like distant cousins. Yeah. I was like, who are you, the royal family? <laughs> it's fine. But I mean, this is, yeah. you go back far enough. Oh, right? fuck yeah. And that's why I don't, I find it so kind of funny when people are like, I'm descended from like Henry VIII. And I'm like, so are like three million people probably, <laughs> right? Because that's like four, five hundred years ago. Yeah. So the amount of people that are, you know. The but... branches on that tree. Yeah. So it's That's a really bad example because he literally didn't have any children that had children. But like... <laughs> I would literally pick the worst English kings. Anyway, Richard III, you know, for example, he also had no kids. <laughs> Another <crap>. great one. <laughs> Macbeth. He's fictional. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, just the random Scottish man named Macbeth probably had kids. It's probably a lot of Macbeths. <laughs> just pick one of the Macbeths. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So it's interesting when you think about the idea that you should have 
kids yeah in order to gain some kind of immortality and why we have this desire to to leave that mark when we die like we're mm. so obsessed with the idea of being forgotten i think is the mm. thing yeah yeah it's super interesting so there's this idea of like i mean permanence in what is effectively for most people a kind of impermanent existence like in the grand scheme of things our lives are quite short they're the longest now than they ever have been in human history and this idea that something of your life you know that when you're dying and you're old and you can be like oh you know like my children are here in my home with me that kind of thing and also probably very wrapped that kind of legacy aspect is also very wrapped up in a context of childbearing that doesn't exist for us anymore in the west Mm. so a choice of whether to have children or not through contraception and b having a welfare state that means that you don't have to have kids to look after you Mm -hmm. because otherwise you will be destitute and die yeah and acknowledging that some parts of the world still have that like you've got to have kids because you need your family farm to be run you know Mm. that kind of thing so we are existing outside of what's been the case for a lot of humans for a lot of time yeah and then it's like how much have we evolved that nurture versus nature thing of like our circumstance means that you know that way of life means that having children is very necessary but also how much is that kind of ingrained in our biology with that biological want to have kids yeah because the humans that had children that made the lines that came to us or all the ones that had kids right so that urge to procreate passes on yeah and i think there is definitely i'm not going to underscore that there are certainly people who want to have kids yeah. who have feel that innate desire to reproduce who want to be mothers and fathers and they mm. really really want that I can't wrap my head around that because I've never in my life experienced that. I don't feel that at all. But I appreciate that for some people there is that need. I think where it gets interesting for me is how much of procreation happens because people think they should do it. And it's just Mm. an expected thing and it's just a box to tick. And I think that especially when I look at some of my family members who I feel like just go through the motions of being like, now you're dating. Now you get married. Now you buy a house. Now you have children. And they never stop and interrogate whether that is actually something they want to do or need to do or should be doing, whether that is something that is actually fulfilling and making their lives better, rather than just ticking a box. Because that's where I think you get into trouble with feeling unfulfilled in your life, right? Like, and kids are not going to fill that void for you. Yeah, absolutely. And that because you followed a script that wasn't actually written for you or by you. It's this kind of set path of things. And I think some people start feeling resentful when they don't feel fulfilled by doing all the right things, these things that they're supposed to be doing. And then they look at their lives and they're like, why am I so unhappy? Because you never stop to interrogate what you actually want and who you actually are as a person. You're just going through and doing what you think you should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting, hey? And, and and like you said, like acknowledging that that urge to have children is very strong for some people. But the reason for that can be many things and a reason is legacy i think Mm. a lot of people actually want to have kids because of the legacy piece i've definitely had some interesting chats with previous partners around it cis male partners one in particular was very much like not sure if he wanted kids was actually erring towards probably no but was adamant that if he did they would have to have his name Mm. because that was important to carry on that like male line because his has a sister and a brother and his brother hasn't had kids so it was like, well, if I did, then I should do that because that will carry on that name. Which is interesting, the idea of like, I don't even know if I want kids, but if I did, they would have to have this because mm. that's important. The idea of carrying on the line was one and the same as, like, why would you have family if you're not going to bother? Like, Yeah, what's the point if they're mm. not carrying on the legacy, right? And I do wonder sometimes, because I had a bit of existential dread on the plane yesterday. 
because I was watching The Hunger Games. And then I was like, man, this kid has just died and she's 11. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Which sometimes happens to me where I just get overwhelmed with the the knowledge that I'm not going to be alive forever. And I try not to think about it. And then I wonder if that is lessened if you have kids. Like, do you feel less dread about your impending destruction if you know that you have children and I don't know why that would matter, but maybe it gives you some kind of comfort? Yeah, I'm not sure. We should um, ask someone with kids. Yeah, we should. We should get a parent on the pod, mm. um, or email us. Yeah, if you've got kids, do yeah. they lessen your existential dread? Yeah, please advise. Atardis of one's own at gmail.com. <laughs> or can it come from the other side, depending on your situation? Which is shit. I'm scared of my mortality because they're like, like if they're still little, and yeah. you want to look after them, right? And then you're like, oh, I need to stop they skydiving. Yeah, I need like, to stop taking risks. Yeah, stop smoking eat better because I want to see them have children of their own if they choose to, you know, all that stuff. And that is certainly something that I saw happen a couple of years ago when an author that I follow on social media started suddenly exercising and dieting because he married a much younger woman and they had a child and he was like, I want to be around for my now child. Mm. So I'm going to have to start looking after myself if I want to be in a, a better position. Yeah. To be there for them and be active in their lives instead of just being a decrepit old man. Which is also an interesting take on it, right? Like yeah. suddenly having a kid, you become more aware mm. of perhaps your frailties. And especially when with the luxury of being a biological man and you can make that call much, much later. Yeah. And then like have an epiphany. And At be 60. Like, and be I'm like... 60. Let's have kids. And now you're like, well, no, it's good to like turn the ship around, but also maybe... <laughs> If you've done some damage lifestyle-wise, that's probably set Too stone. late. <laughs> it's good to do, the, like, make yourself feel better, for sure. And, you know, having a healthier mind and body or whatever is going to make you enjoy that those waning years more than anything else, right? So, mm. yeah, cool. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm. Yeah. And I think that is interesting as well, because just using this example of this author, he had a, a family earlier in life with his first wife. So he has basically grown children, and now he's got a small child. And that must be really... Mm. weird as well like when it comes to sort of the legacy that you leave and you you know kings did this right they just kept having children yep especially if you you know had uh, like were widowed like if your wife died Mm. and you know obviously for a lot of the time biggest risk a lot of women took was childbirth yeah so if your wife died in childbirth and you're like oh fuck i still need more kids for heirs especially when infant mortality was way worse than it is now in the west infant mortality is still bad in a lot of places but you really have to not just rely on putting your eggs in one basket as mm. it were you know even with everybody calls prince william and prince harry the heir and the spare yeah you gotta have a spare just in case yeah and i think to bring it back to the episode right we see the doctor sort of go through this whole arc in this episode where yeah. at first he's sort of really uninterested and horrified by this cloning process and now he has this daughter but she's not really his daughter because she's just grown from his DNA, like, I don't know. It's super sort of weird. Lab experiment, just a yeah. just fully formed. Yeah. But then, you know, he sort of goes on this journey and a lot of that is Donna talking to him and sort of, I guess, promoting that sort of very traditional... Doing the hard sell. Yeah. yeah. And then he gets sort of excited because now he has someone to share his life with and he can share all these things. But then also, as he says to Donna, this is not the first time that I've been a father, right? Because yeah. she knows so little about him. And it's interesting that she also makes the assumption that he's never had kids, mm. knowing that he is a time lord and he's been around for a very long time. Yeah, but how he sort of wrestles with his own existence through the, the lens mm. of having a child. 
And I can't remember what happened with his first daughter. No, and I think... I mean, it's not a crazy call to make to assume he had never had a family. Because he gives off very much not parent vibes. Irresponsible adolescent vibes. Yeah, and also, like, oscillating between being quite traumatically fucked up and quite naive. Yeah. I don't know, and also, like... Okay, this sounds odd, but a quite non-sexual being. Yeah. Like, he's occasionally flirty, I think, depending on whoever has written the episode. (laughs) He's either more flirty or less flirty. But in a never in a way that seems like actually anything would be consummated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's quite asexual, isn't he? Yeah, strongly. Mm. Or like Madame de Pompadour, you know, yeah. who's like, come on the TARDIS. And you're like, what the fuck? You're like into this woman. This is very weird. I do wonder also, though, about the implications of having children and also all these, you know, having a family, etc., etc. When you are essentially immortal, like you mm. keep regenerating. So do you, is the implication, you know, that is it like, the implication of a monogamous relationship that's yeah. going to span your lifetime or is it kind of like every regeneration has a, a family and then you can move on? Like, what is the agreed boundaries within the society? Fantastic questions. Mm. And I think this draws a parallel with vampires. <laughs> because when vampires get into relationships... With 17-year-old like, high cool. schoolers. Yeah, and you're like, sweet. And if they don't make them a vampire, then you're like, well, at one point, you're like, oh, we're in love together forever. And you're, your forevers are very, very different, right? Like, Yeah. That's why I kind of love the vampires who sort of split up and then come back together and split up and come back together. Like, they sort of drift apart, do their yeah. own for a couple of centuries. Just kind of maybe... orbiting. Yeah. So, like, we're both around, you know? But, yeah, the... The Time Lord thing is interesting from that point of view, I think. Because what does it mean to have kids when... But this is like with elves, like in Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. How long is your adolescence when you're essentially an immortal being? Like, if you're a thousand-year-old elf, you're still considered quite young. Yeah. You know, like, being a 300-year-old elf is like being a teenager. Yeah. So, what is the equivalent for the Time Lords? And even though they're supposed to have a finite number of regenerations, I think they've sort of retconned that to be like... It used to be you can only have 12, but now it's like... Oh, okay, now... We fix that and post. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, yeah, no, it's a great point. And also when those regeneration spans are like, depending on actors' preferences, wildly (laughs) different. So you might get a few years or you might get... And also the concept of time as a time lord, because you're not static in time. No. You're not sitting somewhere in time and experiencing the passing of time in a linear fashion. You're like hopping around all over the show. So and when then, you're yeah. in the TARDIS, is time passing? How is that time passing? We've discussed this before. Like, how are you aging in the TARDIS? Is it like interstellar aging? What's the dealio? Like, time passes differently Oh my god, when they planets. got back to the ship and then the man was like, it's been 23 years. Yeah. And for them it had been like three hours. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things. And also, you know, with the Doctor always regenerates into humanoid shape. But presumably you can regenerate into any shape species. I don't know what the limitations are. I mean, yeah. That's weird. But they always have to have two hearts. Yeah, but I mean, he's just regenerated into human shape. He could regenerate into half shape, surely, just with two hearts. Like, what, is, yeah, what are maybe. the constraints? Of, That's it. I don't know. I think if you're maybe a massive Doctor Who nerd, write some fanfic. Can you email us? <laughs> yeah. Again. Like, this exists. Could, um, we get, could we Google it? Yes. Are we going to? No. Because no. I don't care that much. <laughs> I'm just here for the vibes. Yeah. Not 100%. for the law. <laughs> but it is interesting when it comes to legacy, the idea of legacy. Yeah. And then, oh no, yeah, and then you get into, like, the elves thing's really interesting, because then you're, like, when you're 5,000 years old, like, at what point can elves have kids? Do they, because, you know, we have kids quite soon, because Mm. in the span of our lives we don't, but if you're an elf and you can still have a kid when you're, like, 20, then you're, like, you're, like, 
5,000 and your child's 4,980. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, well, appreciably with the same fucking age. Like, there's not a... <laughs> there's not a mess There's not a benefit difference. of experience difference there, right? Yeah, but... Or is your adolescence just a very long span of time and so you won't have kids that young? Because... Yeah, because, you know, like, you're... Mm. But also the yeah. concept of, like, relationships when you're an elf, right? Just thinking about Lord of the Rings, right? Elves can only really die if they're killed in battle or they die of a broken heart. That's the canonical... Aww. So people like Elrond, for example, his wife yeeted herself out of Middle-earth very early on and mm. yet, due to trauma... Don't at me. <laughs> so he just continued to live on Middle Earth without her and with the children. But yeah. she's gone, right? So yeah. does he pursue other relationships or is he just like, nah? Well, I'm yeah, a, I'm it's a true. monogamous relationship with my wife. But she's not dead, really. Because no. is she grey havened? Yeah. But it isn't death. It's no, like. It's just purgatory. <laughs> is she grey havened? Yeah, I'm you know. Grey haven myself. <laughs> Tolkien, not a secret Christian, right? He's not C.S. Lewising me. No, he's not C.S. Lewis. Okay, good. Good. He probably was a Christian, though. But, like, in a, like, casual everyone's Christian way, not in a, like, Aslan's Jesus way. No, 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 not <laughs> okay. in a, this is Christian ideology kind that of That you're way. trying to sneak it in, and then I read all the books of Narnia, and then I'm like... <gasps> this is very overt, yeah. No! Have, like, an epiphany age 12 and being like, they was trying to indoctrinate me! <laughs> but they were buddies, the two of them. Yeah, random. You know when, like, famous people are friends with famous people, like, before they're famous? And I'm like, what did you guys, like... I want to go back in time and... I think they like, argued a lot about their fantasy lore of their separate worlds because they're quite different. Nerds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can I go back to Oxford and be like, what? <laughs> You're being like, nerds, we have a podcast about Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is happening right now? Let us not pass I, I stars. Like, I want to say to JRR, um, can you please have more women in your stuff? Jolkin, Rolkin, and... Holkin. <laughs> is it like... John, Ron, Ralph. Roland, Ronald. Is it the first one, John? I don't know. Jonathan, I should, I like Roland. I, I was really just assuming you knew that. I should know that, but... Jonathan. I was Jonathan, right. John, Jonathan, yeah, Ronald. So, John, you were right. Ronald, yeah. I was right. Real Tolkien. Real. He was, he was born in Bloemfontein. Did you know that? In South Africa. Oh, no. Oh. And, and then he died in Bournemouth. Oh. Huh. Wowzers. But yeah, there's this whole thing about Jolkin, Rolkin, and Rolik and Tolkien. <laughs> anyway, we digress. Hilarious. So let us wrestle this back <laughs> yeah, to cool. some random episode. Yeah, yeah get, into the, get into the episode, yeah. Well, so, well, well. Well, well, well. I just firstly said Martha is healing a fish human. Is she a vet? Discuss. <laughs> so I wrote Fishman first aid. <laughs> then, like, 20 minutes later, Martha can understand them, lol. <laughs> she's very right? good. She's no, very I mean, good. She's, yeah. <laughs> but again, maybe it's the TARDIS's psychic thingy helping her yeah, understand, understand them. Yeah. Um, so I said Martha's still on board. Very capable. I mm. like this. There's yeah. no fucking around. She has learnt. She's grown. She's had bullshit to deal with. So she just cracks on. Yeah, she just rolls with it. There's she no is, faffing. She is great. She's a very practical person. Yeah. And I appreciate 100%. it. 100%. I love that he said my old hand's very excited when they land there because the hand's like, ooh, cloning is coming. <laughs> yeah. And it's like all agitated in yeah. this old bubbly <laughs> jar. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cute. Capital letters, Gendry, e.g. Chris from Skins. Yeah. We love to see him out and about. Obviously a lot of war rhetoric in this episode. A lot. A lot. Yeah. An outbreak of pacifism. Yeah. And like, 
So let's talk about the janky science that makes <laughs> the daughter. Because it made a daughter from a little bit of his sample, and he explains the science around, like, you know, you take a sample of person and, like, during the blah, 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 sis, you make, you know, it doesn't need zygote that's made from two separate humans. It's just whatever, cool. But their, like, pro-generator genesis machine immediately imbues people with martial know-how. Like, it's it's doing a Neo. It's an automatic Yeah, it's giving them knowledge. Download. Yeah. Yeah. And also, apparently, perfect eyeliner. <laughs> because she comes out of that looking pristine. Yeah, they just stamp it on. Yeah, and also with, like, a sense of humour. Because <laughs> she, like, makes all whippy comments about stuff and it's like oh Jenny I like that and it's like you just got made five minutes ago it is interesting interesting. because like it's not like she has the doctor's memories or anything like that so it's got nothing to do with the source is what's being implanted about the society that she's joining so that is interesting yeah I don't know there's there's something very creation mythy about this whole episode as well Mm. like this idea that you know they keep talking about the war and how it started and they have their own stories about it and this whole whole thing the and then, source yeah and then it transpires that this war has been going for seven days so the casualties here is astronomical it is and also that makes no sense but fine like let's believe the suspension of disbelief that's been going for seven days like these the these turnovers of generations is so quick because people are dying so quickly and they spring fully formed from the machine yeah but then how is the general captain man how is he old he would just sprung from Fourth like that. Yeah. But what? How? Everyone else is young. (laughs) See? It doesn't make any sense, Jen. But yeah, yeah, cool. I just think if it has to be a seven day war, like, just how many people have died for them to think this happened centuries ago? Because they don't know. And where are these bodies? What's happened to them? Exactly. They would literally be like wall to wall corpses. They'd be building a wall with it, like in fucking 300. Yeah. Yeah, I see. There's many. I think with this episode, they've gone. Oh, interesting idea. Let's go for it. Before they fully fleshed out the plot. Like, yeah. it feels a little bit, like, haphazard. With really cool concepts and really some really interesting ideas. They could have done it if it was, not... like, seven months or even six yeah. months. Like, seven days is just too short for it to be believable. Yeah, and, like, so a day ago was the most recent time that someone stamped the building. So they're still building an expansion. As of a day ago, they were still building an expansion of the module, but mm. now they're not doing that anymore. They've just been in wartime. So yeah, I just, it was just, it was weird. Yeah. I do also think it's interesting that the doctor seems to be a bit miffed about the fact that, she, you know, she's not my daughter, whatever, because he has this sort of idea about what it means to be a time Lord, that there has to mm. be a, a shared code or a shared suffering. Yeah. Um, I wrote, gatekeeping time lords <laughs> like he's gatekeeping that by saying like that they're actually defined by their culture and their experience mm. rather than the nature of their birth yeah like that is interesting also implies that you know if that is the the bar for being a time lord then it's not a specious thing ever like if you are just adopted into that society and that's how you're raised yeah would he consider that more time lordy than this clone daughter of his but it's Which also is a the, great point. the age-old question, right? Are clones real? Are yeah. clones real people? Which I will recommend if you haven't seen the film Moon. Watch the film Moon. It's great. Oh, I think I have. With Thingy on, on the Moon. Sam Rockwell. Yeah, yeah, on the Moon. Yeah, no, I have. It's really good. By Duncan Jones, the director. And David Bowie's son. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, I have seen it. I liked it. Yeah, so he's making this point like, oh, they're really defined by their culture and their experience. Like you, so, so it's like... 
how you what you've gone through that makes mm. you a time lord but then the point when donna whips out the stethoscope and he realizes she's got two hearts and then he's like it's my daughter so then it becomes like a biological thing. thing yeah so it's a bit all over the show i think like i get where donna's coming from but sometimes just like stop trying to make the doctor feel things that you feel i agree i do think like you know donna is like oh i didn't know you were a father like she's a bit taken aback and seems yeah stressed about the fact that she pushed him and obviously he's got some sort of trauma it's just like stop pushing him stop pushing mm. him to talk about things and like you're always like just bullying him into things just stop it stop doing it and I like don't annoying. perceive to you've literally hung out with him for in a the couple of weeks yeah like Richard to him is like literally 30 seconds don't presume that presume you presume to understand that everything about him based on this like real superficial to, yeah yeah and he's not letting you in either <laughs> so this is like it's very it, it speaks to what feels like the presumption of a stronger relationship, a deeper relationship than anything we've seen physically actually be there. And I wonder if that's not just like the writers trying to speed up this relationship between mm. Donna and the Doctor knowing, like we know she's only in it for a season, right? And I know how the story ends, like the arc ends. And so they need us to have a certain level of investment. So they're yep. really trying to sell that they're really, really close. And I do believe that they're good friends. Like I think they get on well. Yeah. And I, I love that they constantly push the thing that we're not a couple. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, no, no, gross. I'm not his woman. We're yeah, not a couple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's a good point. I think there's a bit of a theme of Doctor Who trying to do this, trying to like force us into believing relationship is closer. Like it's happened with, we've said it with companions before, when they're suddenly like, ah, ah, but you've been hanging out for like a day. But then sometimes we don't see everything that happens between them maybe, but... Yeah, there's been other episodes, other adventures. We don't yeah. see all their adventures, right? And you can, I'm not hating on the fact that tenure does isn't what makes a relationship strong right mm. you can meet someone and hang out for a little bit and feel quite close to them versus superficially know someone for a year so yeah i'm not gatekeeping that either yeah it's interesting i love when she's donna says there's an outrageous amount of running involved there really <laughs> is an outrageous amount of running involved the run of the running but on that i feel like martha's done enough walking through unknown territory why does she have to walk in this episode as well she's like up on the yeah topsoil yeah wandering the, the wasteland I mean, and then the horrible fish man sacrifice i know again you, you've known martha for three seconds and you're willing to sacrifice yeah. yourself and all her. she did was reset your shoulder like that's <laughs> like fine also, it doesn't appear that the, or maybe they have one too, but that the Hather progenitoring in the same way. Mm. Because the Hather just like, I, they must be, I think they are. Rather than they've been like, we've just been here for seven days. The humans need to chill the fuck out. Yeah, why are the humans <laughs> trying to kill us so much? Yeah, we're like, just vibing. It's just been a week. We're just starting. Like, we can just like have a chat. And then the humans are like, we have been here for generations. It's very intense. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. And then, you know, the doctor's carrying on about his whole, like, gun nonsense yet again. And I am not a gun person. Like, I am also not... I'm anti-gun as well. But the doctor's kind of annoying about this whole gun He's thing. He's really anti-gun, but not that much anti-killing. Yeah. Like, sometimes he will, like, kill and people die in horrible ways. But, like, he just has a thing with... The line is guns. Yeah. Like, just a light stabbing's fine. But it's very <laughs> odd. Or, like, he'll eat someone to a pit. Or, like, the... Bat, like, those aliens in the... In the... Um... Viserys episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he just yeets them into, like, just horrible purgatory for eternity, which is the worst death possible, but he's like, no, I won't instantaneously shoot someone in the head. And then Jenny gets shot. Jenny shot, I know. And you know... 
this always happens in Doctor Who, where we get set up, like with the Madame de Pompadour thing, and like, you know, when there's some level of like, oh, come on adventures with me, and you're like, this person's clearly going to die because we're not going to get a new companion right now. But also, he could have just hung around for a little bit because he knows, like, she's part-time lord and he just makes the assumption that she's not going to yeah. regenerate and be like, no. But then we see at the end of the episode, yeah, she does regenerate, right? But, so, I mean, she doesn't even regenerate to someone else. She just comes back. Comes back to life. But how many times can she do that? How much Who regenerative knows? energy does she, she have? No and one then, knows. does that mean we might see her again in the future? Well, do you know? Well, not in any of the ones I've seen. Okay. But, you know, it is set up that maybe in new series whatever they could bring back this character right yeah maybe with wearing a different face even yeah i don't know and also sidebar real life david Tennant's wife i know this is where they met she's so young mm. i'm not gatekeeping that either because that's kn- me judging. you know she's the daughter of um hang on where is it is it davison yeah so she's the daughter of peter davison who also played a doctor who i think oh which one did he play yeah no i know he was the one in the 90s Oh, funny. So Fifth. He was the fifth doctor. Oh. Uh, or maybe the 80s then. So um, she's literally the doctor's daughter. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That's so weird. How did, she, did she deliberately go with Moffat? Uh, because she wanted to be on the down low Don't with know. the surname? Yeah, interesting. Cool. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so they must have... They just, you said they met here, hey? They yeah. met on the set and then... God, and she's like, me. what, 14 years younger than him? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, so she must have been early 20s then and he was late 30s. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I think that's all I had, really. I've got an important question. Mm-hmm. Where do they get their food in this lair? No one mentions food. Maybe the machine makes food too. Yeah, like a. Or maybe Star they don't Trek eat because they style. die before they. Oh, like uh, Jean Luc Picard mm-hmm. when his thingy, replicator, that's and he's the like, one. tea, Earl Grey hot. <laughs> that's his order. <laughs> that's that's the, you. The only thing. Earl yeah, Grey, extra strength. <laughs> yeah, literally. Tea, Earl Grey, extra strong, hot. But with milk. I think he had his black. I watched some Star Trek on the plane, actually. Uh, Strange New Worlds. It was actually mm. quite good. I would watch more of it. Okay. Hmm. Lasers. Was that laser scene giving you... You might not have seen this film. But Entrapment. With oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah, with Sean Connery. And Sean Connery. And if you look... I think if we watch that film now, maybe we'll have a viewing, it would be super fucking weird. Because the age <laughs> difference is fucked. And also it's... Police entrapment yeah. is the theme of the film. There's a yeah. lot of films from that era that was police entrapment, 100%. Yeah. Just, like, setting it up. I think... And I think that's why nowadays I'm like, entrapment. But I realise that some countries, maybe America has different entrapment laws to other places, and other places are chill about it. Yeah, I think because, you don't need to declare that you're... You know, you can't yeah, leave... you can just do sneakies. But you can't, like, make someone do a crime. You <laughs> like, can. But then <laughs> it can try a little bit minority reporting to be like, this person's going to do a crime because I made them. And then be like, oh, you did a crime, I got you. I do feel like law enforcement is going to go minority reporting, don't you think? Like, I feel like we're really pushing that way, where they're just going to, like, try and anticipate crime. Yeah. Like, profiling stuff, like... I mean, without using AI as a, as a blanket term and, like, mm. what, you know, it's not all going to be, like, Robocop, but, like, that kind of, like, facial recognition stuff and... And it does get very profile right? Being like, this type of person is more likely to commit crime, but it doesn't consider any of the social, economic, yeah, political yeah, factors no. that lead into that. And it's like, or someone, you know, is more likely to, so because of X, Y, and Z and this, like, mass analysis of everything in their life like mm. they're statistically more likely to and it's like yeah but yeah i don't know it's kind of gross it's grim it's very grim yeah 
terraforming. <laughs> I love terraforming, the concept of terraforming. I mean, the Doctor doesn't really know what he's up to. He just smashes open that thing and then the, the source comes out, which yeah. is like, not even really, it's just, just terraforming gas or something, right? Like they're making it really mythy, but it's, again, in a, in a way that I like that Doctor Who does, like it goes in hard with like mystical, but ends up being science. Science, yeah. yeah. Which I think is correct in a way that a lot of the stuff we considered mystical or magic is now just science. Yeah, fuck yeah. So whenever there's something you don't really understand, it's probably just give it enough time. Yeah. Science will figure it out. Yeah, 100% gravity. There's so much stuff we just don't know, right? Yeah, yeah. Because as we've discussed before, like we've only objectively been around a very short amount of time. Yeah, very much. In our current state. Yeah. Let alone in our state where we can have the necessary technology, ability, and cultural societal support to really challenge that stuff Mm. to look outward to not be like but it's god don't question it i do find it interesting though how you know civilizations rise and fall right so the idea Mm. that you could lose all of this and we'd have to start from scratch like if there was a nuclear fallout and future humans Mm. in whatever way that that civilization develops right do they go all the way back to the start there's I, I quite enjoy a dystopian future that it turns out that actually it's a subsequent to a fall of yeah. modern society, so modern civilization. So uh, Robert Harris wrote a book a few years ago called The Second Sleep, and it reads like it's set in medieval times. He's quite good at the and ultimate then, history. Yeah, he is, he is. Yeah, it reads like it's set in medieval times, and then you realise that actually like these relics start turning up, and mm. it's clearly he's describing an iPhone. Yeah, and you're like, oh damn! It changes the entire tone of the book, and then you find out through very bits like you would—they like, don't know, like they've lost mm. all. You find out through dribs and drabs what probably happened, and yeah, it's really interesting. Well, yeah. Hmm. Have anything else? Um, a bit of an odd comment from Donna. We can kind of discuss in the ending to the randos. I'm gonna travel with that man forever. Mm. Is a very categorical statement. From someone who emotionally, like we've talked about, seems very hither and thither with their ability to deal with what she's saying. The realities of it. Yeah, absolutely. And so you don't expect characters and things to always be perfect, right? Everybody's mm. flawed, humans are flawed, we're all flawed. But yeah, I'm like, I don't know, really, do you really think that? You know, when people just say stuff, or like the writers have made them say a thing that I'm like I think it just speaks to the fact that out of all the companions we've had so far, she has the least to go home for. Like, she really only has her grandfather that she has a good relationship with. He's already elderly, right? Yeah. She doesn't have a career like Martha had or a close bond with her family like Rose had. She objectively has very little going for her. That's a really good point. That it's not necessarily... It's not entirely the pull factor of being with the Doctor, but it's the the fact that nothing is pulling her back home either. Mm. Mm. So yeah, while might she might struggle with some of the things she sees in the TARDIS, it's still objectively better to her than her tempting small life and wherever she was. Yeah, Chiswick, Basildon. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Why have you written ritual purposes? <laughs> because they were like, "What are the numbers for?" And then people were like, "We don't know. It's there from the ancients." And then ritual. I was like, "Ritual purposes." <laughs> it was there for ritual. Purposes. Yeah, it was there for ritual purposes. Know. And then then Donna works out. And then also the phrase, born to fight, to die. Mm. Because that's kind of what they're there for, which is like super fucking weird. 
If we could do that, if we could just clone soldiers, you know the army would be 100% all over that. They would just be churning them out on the front lines. We'd probably be in a perpetual state of war. The only thing that really stops us is lack of resource. resource. Well, then are they going to make just like like drone fighters, fighter robots? I mean, yeah. Because then the humans can just stay back a bit. Because already a lot of bombing is done with the drones, like pilots, yeah, drone, right? Drone pilots, yeah. Yeah. So if they can just get drone They're infantry so yeah. they could just be cheaper but like cheaper attack than of the clones a hu- than training a human yeah get Tamara Morrison that's a New Zealand actor joke <laughs> <laughs> yeah so. he's Boba Fett's father yeah and also Boba Fett yeah yeah because it's two but one Ooh. clones oh <laughs> to find a clone uh, anyway did you ever yeah. stand out I don't actually I found Ooh. this episode a bit Midge. Yeah, I just don't care about it. Yeah. And like, I remembered it because I remember Georgia being in it because I think she's very pretty. And that's probably mm. my standard. She is very pretty. She's objectively very pretty. She is objectively very pretty. She, unfortunately, I think maybe made some bad choices in the mid 2000s with eyebrows because mm. her eyebrows are so skinny. But they're also <sighs> doing the tadpole thing, which I think is very much a look then. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. she's so pretty. She's just like cute. How yeah. describe when girls look, girls, women look cute. She does come across young. Yeah, like, she capable, does seem very young. But young. Makes me think, is she supposed to be like a teenager? Is that like what they're gunning for? Because like Chris from Skins can't be that old in this. No. When was this one? 2008? 2009 yeah, Max? 2008. What's his name? Let's Google him. Oh, fuck. I can't remember. I'm Googling Chris. Joe Dempsey. Oh, that's right. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Yeah. Gendry. Remember when he took his shirt off in Game of Thrones and everyone lost their mind? Oh, yeah. Do you remember when age? he... Fucked Arya and everyone lost their no, mind. No, I mean Arya was a fucking baller there. <laughs> yeah, she I know, was like, I know crazy. what I'm getting, and he was like, marry me, and she's like, uh, <laughs> gross. <no>. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, awesome. So he was born in 1987, like me. So he's 21 in 2008. Yeah. So he's either 20 or 21 when it was filmed. Yeah. yeah. He looks young. So I reckon she's supposed to be around the same age, but I think yeah. she was actually like 24 when it was filmed. Mm. But she does, yeah. As always is the way with. You always play younger. Women. Yeah. Interesting, man. Do you have a standout Well, moment? I just had the phrase Captain Nutjob, which made me laugh. <laughs> when Donna's like, bloody Captain Nutjob. He is a nutjob. She's got some great throwaway <laughs> comments, Donna. Because she is so dramatic and extreme. Yeah, so you get some is. great, yeah, yeah. great one-liners. Yeah. And anybody I don't like at work from now on will be referred to as Captain, Captain Nutjob. <laughs> like you are Captain Compliance. Yeah, all right. Come on. <laughs> Rules are there for a reason, Jen. No, not always. Like, actually, fact checking. This, I don't like, if the rule is stupid, I don't follow it. But otherwise, civilization will crumble. But she so. does get stressed when I jaywalk. <laughs> well, mainly because sometimes you do it with just gay abandon. <laughs> and there's not, like, <laughs> think of that car this morning, Jen. They sometimes, you can't, there's not predictable speed. They could just zoom up. Yeah. Don't become a statistic. <laughs> Anyway, cool. Yeah, all right. So next time we'll be watching episode seven of season five, The Unicorn and the Wasp. Let us know your thoughts by emailing own at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram. And yeah, there are show notes. They don't have any references for this episode because it's just vibes. But yeah, feel free to email us. And uh, unsurprisingly, Unicorn and the Wasp, it's period set. It following is. a future set. Woo! And then after that one, bets it's going to be Cardiff or London set. <laughs> present day. <laughs> Great. You've unlocked it. <laughs> I've locked the, unlocked the key. Um, cool. Yeah. So like, 
hang tight for Agatha Christie content. Yeah, we love Hello. Agatha Christie. Big fan. I've, I've got a really interesting Agatha Christie fact, actually. Hey. And I'll save that for the next time. We look forward to that. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.